Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Gray Cup talk with legendary Ticats quarterback Danny McManus and play-by-play icons Bob Irving and Mark Stephen. We'll tell you how the Hamilton Bulldogs will benefit from Sunday's Gray Cup. Canada has joined the diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Winter Olympics and find out why Canada is a world leader when it comes to the abortion pill. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Danny McManus is today's fifth and final Grey Cup legend here on Good Morning Hamilton, a Canadian Football Hall of Famer, a Grey Cup winning quarterback, and now the assistant GM of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. D-Mac, good morning. How are you? Doing good, Rick. Great to be here with you, buddy. Listen, longtime Bombers play-by-play announcer Bob Irving just minutes ago said this is the best Bombers team he has ever seen, and he's seen a bunch of them. Do you agree? I think we got the right players. Uh, the guys have done great this year through all the protocol and stuff that they had to go through to make this season happen and the restrictions that they went through. They focused on doing what the head coach asked them to do, and that's just basically do your job and do it the right way. Uh, coach O'Shea is outstanding uh, as a leader of men, and the players respond to that. He lets them pretty much do what they need to do to get it done, and he sits back and watches it and just corrects things that need to be corrected. But I think the players uh, deserve a lot of credit for what they've had to go through, and our coaching staff has done a tremendous job getting these guys ready to play week in and week out. Yeah, this season, for obvious reasons, has been unlike any other with the COVID-19 pandemic. How has the team been able to maintain focus, given that a couple of years ago they won it all, they could have rested on the laurels, but in fact they're bigger, better, and stronger than they were two years ago? Well, it comes from Osh. I mean, Osh is never satisfied. Uh, once the Grey Cup was over in 19, it was we focused right on repeating again in, in 20. But uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, the pandemic came along and we had to postpone that that uh, that goal till this year. So it's always been his goal is that you only you try to go one and no each week. And with the Grey Cup at 19 being just one week, we went one and no. And then at the beginning of the season, starting this year, we went right back to that same. Uh, mantra of going one and oh each week and that's what we try to do and the, the players the captains on our team the guys in the locker room that that are the ones that get the most that should get the most credit because they keep the guys focused on what coach's goal is and that is to go out there and just get the job done well you went one and oh in a bunch of great cups there, there were a couple of and ones but we won't have to uh, you know we don't, we don't have to <laughs> chat about that <laughs> the the first great cup you went to was in your rookie season 1990 with winnipeg what was that like it was neat. I mean, you know, I thought this was going to happen every year. You go to Grey Cup, just you come in as a rookie. Uh, uh, but, but being behind Tom Burgess and learning a lot about the CFL, it was a great experience for me through that whole season. And then uh, the way we came out and played against Edmonton that day in BC, they, you know, we were fortunate enough to, to get way ahead, and Coach Riley put me into the game for a little bit, so getting experience doing that. It's, uh, you know, it, it's like a bowl week in, in, at the U.S. college level and uh, compared to the Super Bowl. It's, it's one game. It's the focus of everybody in the country to go out there and try to get a championship. And it's what every guy that walks off the plane or drives into the city for training camp, it's their goal to be the last team standing. And, and it was great to be able to do it my rookie year and then be able to go back a few more times after that. Yeah, including 92 with Winnipeg, and uh, it didn't turn out well as you guys ran into a very uh, good Stampeders team, but you're back in the big game in 94 with a completely new team, the BC Lions, facing Baltimore, and it was a Canada versus U.S. uh, Grey Cup. That was uh, a a memorable game for many reasons. What was the top memory for you in that 94 final? 
Well, I think the, the biggest memory was for that day, even the American players on the BC Lions, we were all Canadian. We were not going to let the Grey Cup go to, to the U.S. in the first year of the U.S. expansion, and we wanted to make sure we kept the Grey Cup in Canada. And to, to, during the anthem as it was going on, you see guys like Vic Stevenson crying uh, while the anthem's going on, just how much it meant to, to him to be a part of Canada. And we couldn't let the prize jewel of the Grey Cup lead across the border and go down to Baltimore. So we had to go right to the very end, and Louis Pisagni putting it through the pipes uh, was, a, was a big celebration after that. Danny McManus is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Canadian Football Hall of Famer, Grey Cup winning quarterback, assistant GM of the Blue Bombers. You played in the last Grey Cup in Hamilton in 96, the last one at Iverwin Stadium, ended up losing to Doug Flute in the Argos that day. What do you remember most from that game? I don't think it's, I think everyone says it's the snow that came down and was steady coming down. And and uh, I think just the way the, the players on the field were able to adapt and, and make some plays. Uh, you know, a lot of the speed guys aren't used to the snow and having to slow down. See, now that's my speed all the time is slow. So I, I was <laughs> you got one to, gear. So, yeah, so I only got one. So I, my, my wheels don't spin in the in the snow. I'm just, I'm okay. And uh, But it was fun. It was The atmosphere was outstanding, the snow coming down. Uh, going against the the best player in CFL history uh, and battling to the end. I mean, I think that was uh, the exciting part. And we we never thought we lost the game. We just kind of ran out of time because uh, it was it was one of those games that whoever had the ball last was going to you know, was going to score. So it, it was an outside, outstanding game. But unfortunately, uh, the clock ran out on us and we just uh, fell short. There were so many great moments in that game. Downtown Eddie Brown's catch, Jimmy the Jet Cunningham, Gizmo Williams, the fumble, non-fumble by Flutie. So many great memories of that game. Uh, 98-99, we all know the history behind how the Ticats won that. Uh, you were named the Grey Cup MVP in 99 as well. Certainly some amazing memories from that championship game. What are your thoughts come this Sunday? What, what, what is your gut telling you? Well, I think it's going to be a great ball game. We only we played this uh, Hamilton beginning of the season, and they've improved uh, as as a ball club. They've gotten uh, better each week, and so have we. Uh, that wasn't uh, the same team way back in uh, the beginning of the season. So I think each team is well coached. Each team uh, star players are playing uh, better as the season goes on. So it's going to come down to three or four plays, as every game does, and you know the the turnover. Ratio. Last week we got very lucky against Saskatchewan. Uh, we've given up six turnovers, but we're able to still come out with the win. We can't do that against a team like Hamilton. Uh, it, it won't be close if that happens. So our guys are focused on ball security and uh, just trying to win each play. And there's uh, 50 to 60 many little wars that go on, and then you try to win the big war at the end on the scoreboard to have just one more point than the other team. Should be a great one. D-Mac, you're a great one, and uh, thanks for the time today. Enjoy the game. Good luck on Sunday as well. I appreciate it, Rick. Good being with you, buddy. Take care. You too. Danny McManus, Canadian Football Hall of Famer, Grey Cup winning quarterback, now the assistant GM of the Blue Bombers as we get set for Grey Cup 108 on Sunday in Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Bob Irving is the longtime Winnipeg Blue Bombers play-by-play announcer with sister station CJOB in Winnipeg and joins us this morning on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Bob. Good morning to you, Rick. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm fine. I'm just waiting at the convention center for the commissioner's State of the Union news conference to begin. Otherwise, I've had a wonderful time here in the Hammer. What are you expecting to hear from the commissioner later this morning? You know, I have no idea, Rick. Uh, he's gonna. I know he'll talk about the pandemic and the toll it's taken on the league. Uh, he will speak in 
optimistic terms for sure. That's uh, Randy's approach and any commissioner, and you've been at a few of these, any commissioner who's in charge will always uh, find a way to talk optimistically about the future of the league and, and why not. So I'm curious to see how he'll approach this and exactly what he'll say. Now, you're exiting your broadcast career uh, during the pandemic. Uh, We've had some highs and lows in uh, your 40-plus years involved with this league. What do you see as some of the positives moving ahead with the CFL and some of the roadblocks that still lay ahead? Well, I think there are good signs in some of the markets, Rick. Vancouver has new ownership, and from everything I've heard from people out there, this new owner is fantastic. He's got lots of money, and he's a big fan of the league, so that's good. I think Edmonton will bounce back. You know, Calgary, Winnipeg, Saskatchewan are rock solid. I think Hamilton's in great hands with Bob Young. I had a chance to talk to him the night before last. I have such admiration for him, Rick, and how he's committed to this league. And, you know, he's lost a fair bit of money, too. But, man, he's behind it all the way. Ottawa's in pretty good hands. I know they had a brutal year on the field. But I think, you know, there's there's still a fan base there that's rock solid. And Montreal, they have a relatively new owner. I'm not sure how committed he is. And, of course, Toronto's Toronto, right? It's always the the franchise that we roll our eyes and say, <laughs> can somebody get that turned around there? And I have no answers for that one. Yeah, we'll keep our fingers crossed on the, on the Argonauts. You wrapped up your Hall of Fame broadcasting career after last Sunday's Western Final. How did that broadcast go? Well, it went very well. And the game, the game makes the broadcast, right, Rick? I think we both know that. And the game was sensational. It was really cold in Winnipeg, but the Riders and Bombers delivered a classic West Final for us. Went right down to the last minute. There were some spectacular plays, ebbs and flows, uh, lead changes. It was just a terrific game. And, of course, for the audience that I speak to, which is the Blue Bomber audience, it ended in the right way. So I couldn't have asked for a, a better game, a more exciting game. Traditional rivals, Winnipeg and Saskatchewan, to close out my play-by-play career. Is it going to feel a little weird Sunday? I know the broadcast is held by another company, at least the rights yeah. to, and you're not calling. But is it going to be a little bit weird, do you think, come Sunday when you're not behind the mic? Well, not really, because we had the same thing in 2019. Yeah. The Bombers in Hamilton and Calgary, we didn't have the right to do that game either. So I'm cool with that. You know, I've done between eight and 900 Bomber games in my career, and I'd love to do Sunday's game. Don't get me wrong. But I understand broadcast rights we don't have the broadcast rights so that's just the way it is and, and i'm okay with that yeah bob irving is our guest longtime blue bombers play-by-play announcer at sister station cjob in winnipeg from freezing winnipeg to very mild hamilton you've been to 40 plus gray cups can you remember a more milder final no i can't I'm trying to think uh, this will be my 48th consecutive gray cup game uh what's it going to be on sunday it's gonna high be four of four yeah Man, that's fantastic, and especially at this time of year. We, we haven't had a great cup this late ever, uh, so I think anything above zero, as I was thinking about it back in the summer, would have been sensational, and uh, no, it's going to be just perfect. And, you know, as exciting as the game was in Winnipeg last weekend, it was minus 18 or 19 Celsius in the fourth quarter, uh, and that's, you know, that I think that affects the play, although it didn't seem to in that game, but We'll have great conditions on Sunday, and I think, you know, everybody wins. Everybody wins, the players and the spectators, when the conditions are favorable. Do you think it benefits one team more than the other? Well, I know the Bombers uh, would prefer it to be colder. You know, they practice in the cold all the time, and Michael Shea believes that uh, when there's weather that's not great, it's, uh, it's an advantage for his team. So I know they'd like it to be a little bit colder. So I think that's an advantage for Hamilton. I really do, because... 
Uh, it won't hurt the Bombers, but I think if it was colder, that would be an advantage for them. Bombers had 15 All-Stars. Five of the seven CFL Award finalists tonight are from Winnipeg. Is this one of the best Bombers teams ever? Well, in 48 years of covering this team, it's the best one I've seen, Rick. And that's quite a statement because there have been some very good teams in Winnipeg. Now, I came in after the Bud Grant era. Uh, and those teams in the late 50s and early 60s were something else. And you guys know that here because it was Winnipeg Hamilton in the <laughs> Grey Cup virtually every year back yeah. then, right? And Cal Murphy had some terrific teams in the 80s. But this team, you know, they were 11-1 and until they lost their last two regular season games, games that didn't matter in the standings, and they treated them sort of like exhibition games. But they won nine games in a row in such dominating fashion uh, like I've never seen a Winnipeg team do. So I think in my time anyway, this is the most complete bomber team I've seen. Got about 30 seconds. Would you care to uh, bring us uh, uh, your prediction for Sunday's game? Well, I don't like making predictions, Rick, but I, I hope it's a great game. I think we always feel that way. I will say this. The Tiger Cats are going to have to be at their best, their very best, to beat this Winnipeg team. That's how good I think Winnipeg is. They could win, of course, but they, there's no room for error for the Cats, in my opinion. I'm, I'm in agreement with you there. Bob, appreciate the time. We'll see you tonight at the awards ceremony and uh, on Sunday as well. Enjoy the game. Okay, thanks, Rick. Bob Irving, longtime Blue Bombers play-by-play announcer with CJOB in Winnipeg. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Sunday, Grey Cup 108, Ticats, Bombers. Which team has the edge? Mark Stephen is the longtime play-by-play announcer with the Calgary Stampeders on sister station CHQR in Calgary and joins us this morning. Good morning, Mark, and welcome to Good Morning Hamilton. Yeah, and uh, welcome to the Great Cup as well. It's been a nice couple of days here, really enjoying our time here, so looking forward to the game on Sunday as well. How nice is it to have not only the Canadian Football League season make it through a season during the pandemic, but to have this championship game back once again after missing it all last year? Oh, very much so. And I mean, let's let's just go back to the start of the season when we were hoping it would get going in June when training camps normally open. There wasn't a 100% guarantee or anything that the season would go off or have a full season or even play this game. I mean, all signs were pointing that way, but there was no guarantee. And I mean, Edmonton's season was badly disrupted. But uh, overall, the fact that the season went through with a minimum of issues and the fact that we're playing the Great Cup game here is Really exciting, no question, because we certainly missed it in 2020. Yeah, definitely. This is uh, certainly a different Grey Cup week during the pandemic. How have you found things? Well, yes, I understand that You know, some of the events uh, have been scaled back, the ones I'm familiar with, uh, such as the Calgary Grey Cup Committee always takes over a big square or a big chunk of downtown in the city and has a big pancake breakfast that anybody can come to. That's being scaled back. I've also noticed the team-themed rooms that are a feature of all the Grey Cups. It's been scaled back as well, but I get it. And uh, the people I've talked to here that I've bumped into, uh, you know, some came over to the horse arriving yesterday, uh, Hamiltonians just said, you know, hope you're enjoying yourself, but we can't wait for 23 when they can really, presumably, we hope, uh, do what they choose, when they choose, and where they choose to do it. Yeah, I, I saw the Stamps horse uh, arrived yesterday. Uh, how, does, how does that horse get around? Well, they like to tell you that it's like Santa Claus. It just arrives at their <laughs> line. Unofficially, they do have uh, relationships with different stables around uh, different places. So uh, 
they know what they want, and some people help them out with that. So there you it's go. A, but, it's, I wouldn't say it's local, but it's in the area. Yeah. Well, the cat's out of the bag, or I guess the horse is out of the barn at the, in this case. I shouldn't have, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> All the little kids they'll are disappointed me, now. They'll strap me on the horse backwards <laughs> and send it off into the wild. I guess, so, As they so. should. Uh, Mark, yeah. uh, one of the events that is uh, going to proceed, although uh, obviously a little bit muted because of the pandemic, is the CFL Awards tonight. Uh, there is a, a stampeder in, uh, uh, up for discussion in the special teams category with Devante Deadman and Rene Paradis, the great Stamps kicker uh, competing. Uh, do you see that being a, a, a two-horse? Well, obviously, it's a two-horse race. Do you see it being yeah. a close result? I, I'm going back and forth on that. I mean, uh, Rene Paredes had a fabulous season, 44 of 48, and uh, won a couple of games with last play field goal. So he had as good a season as anybody's had in recent times. Having said that, uh, Deadman had those spectacular returns, and, you know, those are highlight reel things, and uh, he had a good season. Maybe he had a lot of practice returning kickoffs for Ottawa this year. I don't know, <laughs> but anyway, that's another story. I, you know, I guess that's always a tough award, isn't it? Uh, it's a real grab bag of, uh, you know, not only kickers, there's some good ones, some returners, good ones like Deadman. Then, you know, do you risk overlooking some real impressive special teamers as well who are downfield and disrupting things? It's, it's a tough award, uh, probably because of the uh, flair for the dramatic. Uh, Devontae Deadman will win, but I'm looking forward to it. The big award tonight at the Hamilton Convention Center, of course, is the Canadian Football League's most outstanding player, the most treasured individual award in uh, in the league. It's uh, Montreal's William Standback versus Winnipeg's Zach Caleros. This is Zach's to lose, right? I would agree. I don't think that's one that's going to be terribly close. I know Standback had a fabulous season, and let's remember when you look at those statistical numbers, it's in 14 games, not the regular 18. But I'm with you. I think... Uh, that one, Zach Galeros, it generally, not every year, but generally goes to the best and most consistent player on the best team. Generally, that's a quarterback. It's a quarterback award. So, yes, I would say Zach Galeros is the man. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Mark Stephen, longtime play-by-play announcer with the Calgary Stampeders on sister station CHQR in Calgary. Let's get to Sunday's game. Tiger Cats, Blue Bombers. This is the final that I think most people expected, right? Yes, very much so, just given the fact of their records in 2019. The way they played this year, Winnipeg uh, ran away and hit with things very early. Uh, from my perspective, uh, you know, I was a little surprised at Hamilton's season. The Ticats were kind of up and down a little bit, a little erratic at times, but they've pulled it together here. So good to see them in the Grey Cup. I mean, a home Grey Cup, I just can't even begin to imagine how excited longtime Ticat fans are to uh, this because uh, certainly it's something that uh, you know doesn't happen every year. But yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised at the matchup at all. To tell you the truth, um, who's going to win? Who, uh, in your gut of guts, you're digging down deep and you're thinking about which team is going to come out on top? Who do you like? Well, how far away am I from downtown here? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, are you undercover? Yeah, the Ticats are by far the best story, and it's not unthinkable that they would win. But just given what happened during the regular season and their focus and the determination, I have to say I think the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are going to uh, come out and uh, win the Great Cup for a second time. They won it in 19 in Calgary and are uh, going to win it here. Uh, we'll see. The Ticats, as I say, have been erratic, and what that means is they can play at a very high level, and sometimes they don't. So maybe they can, and maybe that crowd will uh, – 
you know, whip them into a frenzy they've never been in before. But uh, right now, talent-wise, I've got to look at the Winnipeg Blue Bombs. Yeah, certainly the home crowd uh, will be an interesting factor oh, to yeah. see see if the Ticats can use that to muster up uh, enough points to beat the Bombers. Weather-wise, I mean, this is one of the mildest Grey Cups, at least the ones that are held outdoors, that I can recall. And, and this is going to be the latest on the calendar that a Grey Cup will ever be held. How nice is it to see plus-degree temperatures setting into Sunday? Oh, I agree. I think we're all whole crossing our fingers, wondering if the game would turn into a debacle with, you know, the weather playing such a role. It was a pretty rough game and cold game in Winnipeg. And, you know, you had to wonder if that had an impact on the game. And you wondered if it would be, you know, in mid-December in Hamilton, similarly uh, bad and troublesome and causing havoc in the game. But doesn't look like it at all. No, the forecast looks good. And uh, I guess we're a little bit surprised because you're right. Uh, no game has ever been played uh, this late in the uh, on the calendar. So uh, Hamilton won the uh, weather derby because it's going to be a very nice day for sure. Very much so. It's a few clouds on Sunday night. The high about four. It'll be about two, three, maybe four degrees uh, by kickoff. And uh, throughout the night should be a great game. Mark, enjoy the game. Thanks for the time. And uh, we'll catch you later on tonight at the CFL Awards. You bet. Thanks, Rick. Thanks for the call. That is Mark Stephen, Calgary Stampeders play-by-play announcer with sister station CHQR in Calgary. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Tickets for the 108th Grey Cup 50-50 draw are on sale. The grand prize, $75,000. Wowzers. Now, proceeds are going to be going to numerous community programs that benefit youth in the Hamilton area. One of those programs is the Hamilton Bulldog Foundation's Breakfast Program, a fantastic program here in town that has done years of phenomenal work. Peggy Chapman is the Senior Director of Operations with the Hamilton Bulldogs and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Peggy. Good morning, Rick. How cool is it to be benefiting from the Grey Cup 50-50 draw? It's such an amazing opportunity. It's it's beyond, you know, the amount of uh, people that we reach. We've been doing it all week. It started on Monday. And so what I can tell you, Rick, a little inside info, um, the, it's a guaranteed 75000 but I'm fairly confident it's going to be much more than that. We're, we're doing quite well already, and wow. it's only Friday. That's phenomenal. So how will the breakfast program, and there's other programs that are benefiting from this 50-50, yes. but how will the breakfast program use these funds? So we, um, a, a short bit of history, the Bulldogs Foundation manages all of the 50-50s for, at Tim Hortons Field, so the Tiger Cats and Forge, so we've partnered for years. That has allowed us to expand our, our nutrition program. We are now in 21 um, schools with high needs. So that, you know, it has really allowed us to do so much more, plus give back to other youth organizations. So what it will do, because of COVID, and I know um, your children's fund had the same thing, we couldn't have golf tournaments, we couldn't do any of our um, in-game 50-50s, so this is really going to help with our um, budget bottom line this year for sure. Yeah, and it helps us expand, um, you know, that people know who we are, because we're, we are quite a humble charity we don't we don't advertise hugely we don't do that kind of thing we just uh you know, collect money and give it to the schools. And in saying that, it does a lot of good. There's no doubt about it. And yeah, the, the the funding boost, as you alluded to, comes at a great time because, as we know, the pandemic has really impacted fundraising across the board. It sure has. And, um, you know, we, we've all sort of suffered. So this is just, I can say this, it's a real um, holiday blessing for us to, to have the Grey Cup and especially the Tiger Cats in it. That really upped the game for excitement. And yeah, so, and I also want to say that today, 
Uh, we have an early bird prize today that is uh, $500 cash and uh, a Tiger Cats gift pack. So you get two jerseys, Grey Cup hoodies, hats, and two Tiger Cats blankets. So if you buy your tickets today, you have a chance for that. And you're available to purchase these tickets at the Hamilton Convention Center today, tomorrow as well, on game day as well at Tim Hortons Field. I'm sure that's going to be the big boost. We're chatting with Peggy Chapman, Senior Director of Operations with the Hamilton Bulldogs. Uh, you guys also had a Ticats jersey auction that uh, ended last night as uh, the uh, Bulldogs uh, sported these amazing Ticats jerseys as their uniforms. How did the auction go? Oh, my gosh. Well, the auction ended last night and really really well i think we've made well over um ten thousand dollars want to thank car star for sponsoring those jerseys but you know what rick we were so lucky with those jerseys we, it was a four nothing win that um the boys took those jerseys on the road with them this weekend so those are going to be very game worn jerseys <laughs> that the people the winners get <laughs> those are the best kind yes <laughs> Bulldogs are in Kingston tonight. They'll visit Ottawa tomorrow. The next home game is Wednesday versus Mississauga. You can get your tickets to that game at HamiltonBulldogs.com. It's been a successful start to the season on the ice. The Bulldogs are leading the East Division. What's the buzz like around the team? It's so exciting. You know, um, we, we probably you probably hear this all of the time, but I know when um, I'm with uh, Mike Landelauer, our owner, um, he will tell us that, um, you know, we just have a high character of uh, players this year and really focused and lots of energy, which you see on the ice. So um, it's just, you know, it's it's kind of unexpected because they're so young, but man, they just gelled really quickly and they're so positive and just focused. It's it's You can really sense that. Peggy, appreciate the time. Good luck this weekend with the 50-50 and of course on the ice as well. And I just want to say graycup5050.com. You can uh, buy them on your couch in your pajamas. <laughs> That's the way to go. Thanks, Peg. Thank you. That is Peggy Chapman, Senior Director of Operations with the Hamilton Bulldogs as they get set to face off in Kingston tonight and cheering on the Ticats as well, wearing those Ticats style jerseys. They are pretty cool. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHM as a country, indeed, as many partners around the world, we are extremely concerned by the repeated human rights violations uh, by the Chinese government. That is why uh, we are announcing today that we will not be sending any diplomatic representation to the Beijing Olympic Paralympic Games this winter. That is Prime Minister Justin Trudeau the other day confirming that Canada is joining a diplomatic boycott of the upcoming Winter Olympics in Beijing, China. Um, joining other countries like the United States, the UK, Australia. But is it the right decision and what does it really mean? Liam Midzain Goban is an assistant professor of political science at Brock University and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Liam, good morning. Hi, Rick. Good morning to you. Your reaction to what the Prime Minister announced uh, the other day? Um, I, I don't know that it's super surprising. Um, I think as we saw a series of, of Anglo allies start to uh, take the same position, it became increasingly clear that Canada was going to as well. But I do think it raises questions about what we actually want to accomplish uh, and you know whether or not this will actually be the action that uh, allows us to, to get there. Yeah, that, that is really the crux of the issue. What is Canada going to gain by doing this? And could it perhaps do more harm than good at the end of the day? 
Well, that's a little unclear. Part of it too is, is you know, what do we have to gain? But we're in the position of what do we really have to lose to an extent? Um, we've also, we, are, we already have a pretty tense relationship and, and clearly the US going forward um, first out of that group and, and the UK and Australia kind of maintaining tense relationships as well. Um, and, and being the most vocal proponents of this mean that it's a series of, of countries that uh, are pretty invested in not ensuring or ensuring that China doesn't rise to become kind of a, a global, the global power, uh, so to speak. But um, in terms of, you know, what, what we have to gain, that's not really clear in part because the government hasn't really articulated what it hopes to gain. Um, it says it doesn't want to um, you know, support the Chinese uh, Communist Party government and its human rights abuses, which is, is to an extent laudable and fair, but there hasn't really been any evidence that they're working to uh, actually achieve those goals. It'd be hard to answer this question, but I, I've, I've been wondering over the last couple of days, if the U.S. did not implement its diplomatic boycott, do you think Canada would have? Almost certainly not. Um, we haven't tended to stick our necks out internationally recently. Um, and without a kind of coordinated uh, response from not just the US, but also Australia and the UK, um, it's, it, I, I am less inclined to think that we would be doing the same. China has said, at least after the United States issued its diplomatic boycott, that the US is going to pay the price. I'm not sure what that price is, and I'm kind of afraid to learn what it might be. Yeah, they uh, some of the some of the language, some of the translations, the more casual translations have been. We didn't invite you, anyways. I think to the, uh, to <laughs> yeah. the UK and Australia. So um, yeah, it's it's hard to know. There's obviously quite a bit of economic activity that takes place between Canada and China, um, and we see not just the two Michaels who who came home, but a series of other Canadians have been detained as well. So that kind of hostage diplomacy is uh, not something that we want to invite, and and there's concern that angering the regime might might do that here. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to know without any more specifics. And it will almost certainly take place in arenas that are not explicitly linked to the Olympics. Liam Midze-Gomben is our guest, Assistant Professor of Political Science at Brock University. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. One of the concerns, albeit maybe remote, is the safety of the athletes. Uh, I, I cannot envision China doing anything to an international athlete uh, during the Olympics, uh, like we saw with the two Michaels. Is there even a remote possibility that we could see that? I don't think that they will do anything to the athletes. Um, certainly, yeah, that, that world spotlight would, uh, would, would shine a light on, on any of that. Um, and what I will say is that uh, the Canadian minister, Melanie um, Jolie, has talked about the, the way that the RCMP is already involved and there's all kinds of um, trainings and other plans in place. What I would be concerned about more are actions that could be taken against Canadians in China who aren't athletes in and around the games. Um, the, the spotlight of the games kind of in some respects might give a bit more security to the athletes, but what it does is it moves attention away from others. Uh, and especially um, those Canadians there who also have Chinese descent have been targeted um, quite explicitly and quite directly by uh, the Chinese government. And so I really hope that the country is focusing on those who are most vulnerable at this point um, and not using athletes as kind of pawns to just achieve a sort of um, public public facing win. Is this almost a half measure? I mean, we haven't seen an, an athletic uh, committee or commission or association boycott since 80 and 84. Is this just a, uh, you know, an optic kind of slap in the face that the Western world is giving to China? 
that seems to be what it is in part because we don't really see any other action. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that's that's also a tough position to be in because diplomacy almost by its nature needs to be done um, quietly and um, you know within trusted confidence. And so we don't know if there's something else going on behind the scenes, but uh, it's hard to imagine given what our relationship with uh, the Chinese government looks like right now. Um, so yeah, it seems to be more optics than anything. And at the end of the day, I mean, we're not watching the Olympics to see which VIPs or government officials are attending the events. It's, you know, all that, eyes. That's not in your scar card? That's, no, that's no. certainly my medal count is how many. No, I'm no they, they, they'll never hit the podium or, you know, celebrate <laughs> with a medal. So we're more focused on the athletes and rightfully so. The games are for them. But can you see any sort of retaliation in the Olympics that are upcoming? We have France in 2024, Italy in 2026, L.A. in 2028 and Australia in 2032, are they on China's hit list for a diplomatic uh, boycott? And could we see diplomats completely erased from this equation? It might well be, um, especially Australia, given their um, much more tense relationship, considering they're they're kind of in the Indo-Pacific region. Um, And so... I don't know. Australia might be the the closest, but that's also so far away that that it's hard to tell for sure um, what those relationships will look like at that point. Um, a direct retaliation, like I said, is is less than likely. More likely, there will be something that isn't explicitly tied, um, potentially economic or in terms of international students. Um, and so it really then puts those who are not at the center of tension right now, kind of in the crosshairs, so to speak. This uh, issue has certainly been a hot topic for the opposition parties, whether it's the conservatives under Aaron O'Toole or uh, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh kind of hopping on this topic to say, you know, Canada should have been first in this regard. And why were we last amongst, you know, Canada or uh, the U.S., the U.K. and uh, Australia? I, I mean, the, the timing is the timing. I, at least we're on board with, you know, this this message of solidarity, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we weren't going to move ahead on our own. And as I think, you know, I'll give the government credit to this extent, like they, they announced it on the same day that the UK and Australia announced theirs. So there was um, clearly at least some kind of coordination or, or thought put into that. And I think that that's, that's a good thing to see. Um, in terms of the opposition parties, like they're on that, they're taking this position for the same reason that the government is. Um, it's not a bad news story necessarily. It is an easy thing to get behind being against uh, human rights abuses. So uh, I think that you know they're they're looking for the same kind of optic win that, that the government clearly is right now. Now we'll wait for the Huawei shoe to drop, but that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> yeah, that well, that that I think is where we're going to see a lot more. Um, attention and certainly a lot more uh, consequences for the government itself. Absolutely. Liam, appreciate the time today. Thanks so much, Rick. Have a great day. You too. Liam Midzane goben Assistant Professor of Political Science at Brock University. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Interesting story out of UBC with a McMaster connection to it as well. A study finds that prescribing the abortion pill without restrictions is safe and effective. And here to talk about it is Liz Darling, Assistant Dean of Midwifery and Associate Professor at McMaster University. Liz, welcome to Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning. Thank you. Let's start with the findings from this study. It basically says that Canada removed restrictions surrounding this abortion pill back in 2017. And since then, uh, things have gone well. That's right. Things have gone really well. So what our, what our um, research showed was that there was no increase at all in abortion-related health complications following Canada's decision to remove the restrictions. And at the same time, we found that um, the uptake of medical abortions was quite rapid, and overall the abortion rate continued to decline. 
Wow, that's amazing. So how how was this study conducted? I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you looked at previous data. Is that how it worked? Yeah, what we did was we looked at uh, comprehensive uh, government health data um, between 2012 and 2020, and that allows us to link together health records from all of the visits that people had with healthcare providers, um, with hospital visits, and also with the outpatient prescriptions for the abortion pill. So what were the previous rules uh, before these restrictions were lifted? What, what were the restrictions? Well, the, the typical restrictions were restrictions on who could prescribe, um, and that um, there were there were limits on on who could prescribe, um, limits on where the drug could be dispensed, and also a requirement that people had to observe patients when they took the first dose of the pill. Okay, so those restrictions have now been obviously lifted years ago. Uh, regarding the uh, physicians observing patients taking the medication, was that was there a trust factor there? Why was that implemented, and why was it ultimately removed? Yeah, I think that um, the 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 thinking behind it was that it would make it more safe if um, if if patients were observed. And um, I guess what our research has shown is that that there really isn't any evidence that it changes safety at all. It's just as safe when we allow patients to take the, their first dose when, where, and, and if they choose. Was there also a fear, I'm not sure if you can speak to this, but was there a fear or a concern that uh, the woman would have second thoughts and ultimately not take the pill? I, I don't know whether that, I mean, that might be part of the thinking behind it, but actually I, I would say that that's, um, we wouldn't see that as being a failure. Um, abortion always should be the, the patient's choice. Mm-hmm. And so in, on occasion, people will, will decide to change their mind, and, and that's, that's absolutely fine. Yeah, most definitely. Liz Darling is our guest, Assistant Dean of Midwifery and Associate Professor at McMaster University. We're chatting about um, a new study that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine uh, that shows that abortion remains safe after Canada removed a bunch of restrictions surrounding uh, the abortion pill back in 2017. And, And you mentioned this just earlier, that the abortion rate has actually declined since then. Yeah, we've had a, a gradual trend over the entire period that we looked at in the abortion rate. It's a, it's a really small decrease, but the, the rate of abortion has steadily decreased between 2012 and 2020. Is there any reason to this? Um, I, 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 that wasn't part of what we looked at, um, so I can't really speculate on it. Um, uh, yeah, I think we're, that, that wasn't really part of what, what we, were, uh, we were looking at. Canada was also the first to remove these restrictions. Have other countries followed suit? Um, well, right now, interesting, actually, the um, the United States is just examining whether or not they should remove um, the restrictions that they have in place currently. Um, but Canada was the first, and as far as I'm aware, um, there aren't uh, there there really aren't many other countries that have taken this approach. We were definitely the the first um, to remove all all of these restrictions together which allowed us to do this unique research and look at what the implications were. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Darling, Assistant Dean of Midwifery and Associate Professor at McMaster University. What supports are in place in the Hamilton area for women who are going through this process? Um, so there there are um, uh, services available through healthcare providers. One of the things about medication abortion is that because they're isn't a restriction in um, in who can provide it. Uh, any physician or nurse practitioner is able to prescribe the abortion pill. So if people are seeking abortion services, they should 
first start by contacting their care provider. And if that their care provider doesn't pr- provide services, then they can refer them to somebody who can. Interesting stuff. Liz, thanks for the time today. A great discussion. And thanks for sharing some insight into this uh, study. Thank you very much. You're welcome. That is Liz Darling, Assistant Dean of Midwifery and Associate Professor at McMaster University, uh, sharing some insight into uh, a study that was recently published in the New England Journal of Medicine that says uh, Canada... You know, remove these restrictions years ago, back in 2017, surrounding the medical abortion pill, and uh, abortions remain safe. And not only that, interesting to note that the abortion rate actually went down from 11.9 to 11.3 abortions per 1,000 female residents aged 15 to 49. And uh, interesting to note that Canada is uh, the trailblazer here, you know, the beacon for those women who are looking at this option. And, um, you know, we're... Some people like to complain that Canada is always last on things. Well, it's nice to see that Canada was first in this regard. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.